Hey guys, welcome back to the Arthritis Podcast, official podcast of digital and creative media works, where each week we take something from pop culture and try to break it down to better understand it. My name is David. My name is Ben. And Ben, it's a regular week. We're back. We're healthy. There's no, um, there's no, there's no topic. It's just a regular week. Well, it, there is a topic. Oh, there is a topic. I've, oh, okay. I've planned the month. <laughs> okay, so it's don't, not, don't you be it's thinking, not that regular a week. No, then. but in the sense that like we're both here and neither of us are terribly oh, right. sick yeah. like we were last week. Mm. Uh, but you know what I figured is this month um, we kind of kind of was like. Turned out a lot of weird horror things are coming out back to back. Um, yeah. This week we're sort of we got- talking about something that's kind of vaguely horror. Next vaguely. week we're doing sort of Black Mirror, so that'll be kind of horror-ish. Yep. Um, so there's some spooky stuff. So we were like, you know, why not pick the month that isn't Halloween to do it in? Absolutely. Um, welcome to Halloween in welcome, uh, June. Welcome to Halloween in June. June? The, the name of my indie band. Um, Halloween. Halloween in June and then Christmas in July. That's right. That's so how we're got, rocking it. We've got that mid, mid-year holiday. Dude, we could legitimately do like only <laughs> Christmas themed stuff in, in, in July. That'd be yeah, quite absolutely. fun. Um, but I was like, you know, like a lot of the things that are coming out pretty much purely exist off dramatic tension. So I figured like that would be a, kind of a fun theme for this month is tension. All right. Kind of looking at how things can struck that um and so this week i figured to kick it off why not talk about something that no one's thought about in a long time um, <laughs> is this week we're talking about the tension of pitch black the can we talk quickly about the fact Just that this film the, so for those of you uninitiated this is a riddick film so the vin diesel this is the the riddick film but this it's is the first the one. first one but yeah. then okay so here's what's confusing right so the chronicles of riddick this, this trilogy there's pitch black the chronicles of riddick and then, and then riddick, riddick. <laughs> but then there's also the games called the chronicles of riddick yep. which are incredible but not to the related. point where a lot of people no a lot of people consider yeah. them canon just because they're really good but yeah they're completely different but the, okay so the weird, games. the weird thing is if you watch the director's cut of this film it's supposed to be a sequel to chronicles of riddick so that's interesting <laughs> like, because it's i so weird in my brief um sort of uh research i did on this film which is i watched a youtube video about it just to see what people were saying they were watching the director's cut which has extra it's like a flashback at the start. Yeah, and there's extra like dialogue from so like weird. Riddick and the guy who's like his handler. Yeah, like explaining the world, which they just cut out because it's unnecessary if you're if you're just watching this film. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's insane. It's very weird. It's um, very weird <laughs> because it was ostensibly the first one. It came out in 2000. Um, it's a science fiction horror. Uh, it's co-written and directed by um David Toy and stars Vin Diesel. Um, Toy's writing is primarily bunch of Australians. Yeah, it was weird. Just, just like. Like three Australians. For, for, wow. <laughs> for reference, um, Toy's writing was primarily science fiction and horror, including Warlock, an early draft of Alien 3 and Waterworld. Mm. So some of the kind of intersections of those Alien things. Alien 3. See. Yeah. The one that doesn't exist. <laughs> well, early draft is yeah. what that says. Uh, yeah, which is kind of curious. Like, I think that a lot of his work, I mean, he's primarily Dunt Riddick. That's been his main thing. Yeah. Um, this film is so weird, this though. so fucking and I'm weird. So excited to get into it. Um, okay, let's do the summary quickly. Before we do that, sure. what did you think of it going into it? Obviously, we both kind of remember watching it vaguely. But yeah, I, do I don't think I'd seen it before, but I'd seen stuff about it. And it was when you were like, oh, we're watching Pitch Black. I was like, I don't know what that film is. And then even when I saw like the thing on Netflix, I was like, like the, the little icon, I was like, I still don't really know. I was, I was like, it's a Vin Diesel film? I'm like, oh, okay. And I started watching it and then like probably like five minutes in when they go him like in the chains with like the thing over his yeah. eyes i was like oh it's the riddick film <laughs> i was like oh okay yeah i was like i know what this film is it's weird like i feel like everyone has seen this and no one remembers it yeah. it's so weird like it's just one of those films i feel it's like yeah it's just a weird one so yeah. strange um 
I mean, I, I saw it when it first kind of came out on DVD, so like 2010. Oh, yeah, God, DVD. Um, and then... Um, and then sort of after that, um, when I rewatched the other Riddick films, I came back to this one and I was like, oh, this is the best one. My I haven't seen the others. That's the thing. I've only seen this one. Chronicles of Riddick is a lot. Like, it's this high concept sci-fi yeah. action thriller. This is... And, like, Riddick is not alien enough, whereas this one is, like, the right balance, I think. Right. Um, but I'll kind of touch on that a bit later. So let's get through the summer because it is quite brief. Um En route to its destination, the ship Hunter Gratzner, transporting the dangerous criminal Richard B. Riddick, is struck by debris, killing the captain and causing the crew to make a landing on the closest planet. The survivors of the crash-slash-landing explore the surroundings of the world with three suns that appears to be in perpetual daylight. Survivors start to disappear, and Riddick is obviously immediately blamed. When Fry discovers lethal light-sensitive monsters, John offers Riddick a deal. Help them survive and escape, and Riddick will go free. As they investigate the planet further, it becomes clear that an eclipse is approaching, which will allow the creatures to hover bu- hunt above ground. The crew returns to the ship with the power cells they need as darkness falls. Struggling against the creatures and all odds, Jack gets away and Riddick survives to fight another day. Credits. <laughs> you just you just skimmed over the, the just just a good chunk of this film. <laughs> well, a lot of it's very detail orientated because it is yeah, a thriller, so it it's is. like if I got stuck in that, we'd be hit. I'd pretty much be retelling you the whole film. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it's it's one of those films where not a lot happens. Mm-hmm. Like when you know when they're like, oh, we need to get the power cells, and then we'll get off this thing. I like checked the time and I was like, we're like twenty minutes in, they've already got a solution. What? What's yeah. the rest of the film? The rest of the film is the interpersonal drama yeah. of getting there. Yeah, which I kind of love. Um, it was very... One of the things that kind of trips me out is that Toy talks about it a lot. Like, when he talks about it now, he's like, I think it was really successful because it was edgy. And I'm like, I don't... Was it? I don't think it's that like, edgy. Even for early 2000s, it wasn't that edgy. I, didn't, I don't No, think. it's quite subdued for early 2000s. It's got... Like, tonally, it's quite quite edgy in that, like, it... Like, I mean, we'll get to Riddick in a minute, but, like... I, like... Film-wise, goal-wise, even subject matter, it didn't feel very edgy. I think most of the edge really just comes from, like, uh, Riddick's aesthetic. Like, he's a very... He's like a D&D character. Yeah, and he's a very, like, punk rock kind of, like... You know, when when what's her name? The the girl is pretending to be a boy. We need, we need some. Jack. But, like, even when she's, like, emulating his look, it's like a very punk rock kind of yeah. kind of thing yeah i'm gonna get some character okay names you do some character names um yeah I, I guess like one of the one of the reasons that he justifies it as being edgy is that they kill a lot of named sympathetic characters without really giving too much of a shit um i think now watching it i'm so used to it because of game of thrones and walking dead that doesn't even flag to me as weird when it's like oh yeah that right that character that you're supposed to care about gets murdered but i think at the time that might have been quite controversial because i remember i mean, like at the time you remember horror films and thrillers and stuff where it's like all the people you care about always survived yeah, or like the, you know, you you can kind of tell who's gonna die, just by Based like on the how start of the film. Yeah, I don't get that with this because of the weird eclectic cast and the fact they're mostly Australian. Also, most of the people in all of the Riddick films are Australian for reasons unknown. Well, the, a lot of people are Australian in this film because it was filmed in South Australia. Right. It was filmed in the same place the first Mad Max film was. Which filmed. makes sense the more you think about it. Yeah, yeah. the director of photography is the same guy. I'm pretty sure oh, as the first that. Mad Max because okay. they were just like. We don't know how to like logistically film here because this is literally a like hell on yeah, earth. This is this is a desert. So Please like, help. can you can you help us, Mister Mad Max boy? And he was and like, he's yeah, like, sure, yeah, dude. Only if you cast a bunch of Australians. Only so you- like, it's the whole like Adelaide thing. If you yeah. film in film in South Australia, you got to have what's well, because like a the number of Australian the actors people. guild. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. how do they have that? Union. If they have a certain number of people, certain number of Australians on 
the team overall and they were just like oh just get a bunch of actors then i did not know that well there you go ben coming at us with the facts um only vague idea of the facts <laughs> only, only vague ideas unconfirmed that, vague ideas that are of unprovable the facts. by their vagueness yeah um okay so i have like a lot of meta readings for this film but i think before we get into that like i just want to talk about riddick as a character so right having watched the other riddick films a few times i'm really confused by what the fuck this series is because <laughs> Riddick is like the perfect. He like it's like he, the perfect Andy. Well, like he seems right? to have. Well, or not even because he doesn't really seem to have any moral beliefs. Like he neither extols good nor evil. He just kind of is. Like for me, he's the he's the true consistent moral emergence. He's like the the from the fabric of the universe is this perfect moral zero right. of a person. Like he doesn't seem to um like he can sympathize with people, but he seems to have no moral compass whatsoever because he like not even that like. You know, he's like amoral and he's like, cool. Just that he seems to be not affected by the concept of morality in any way. Well, I think it kind of lends, at least in this film, in like an insular sense. And I assume the other films were on this. But in this film, he's very like animalistic. And he even says it at the start of the film. He's just like, oh, they say when you're in cryo, like the only parts of you that are awake are like the animalistic parts of you. Yeah. And that's why I'm still awake. Yeah. You're like, okay, that's kind of lame, but whatever. But a cool, whatever. But it's cool, cool for 2000s. Cool guy, but like, yeah. it's kind of dumb. But I guess... Throughout the film, he's very, yeah, like he doesn't have, you know, his goals are really just like, don't die. And like, you know, he, he, he understands like human motivations at a very baseline level. Yep. Like the idea of just like, this guy's going to hand me in for money. Therefore, he's a threat. And it's like, yeah, he's not going to, he's not even going to attempt to make any plays with him. He's just going to be like, you know, when they're walking together through the canyon or approaching the canyon, he's like, oh, we could kill the girl and, girl her and use her as bait. He's just like, good idea to use someone as bait, but I'm just going to use you because like, I'm going to have to kill you anyway. Yeah. So I may as well do it now. Yeah, and then very... they just kind of scrap for a bit. It's just kind of like, I don't know. The, and the, the other films don't ruin this. He's always like this. Okay. <laughs> he never gets a shred of humanity. Okay. It's so weird. Um, but I don't think it's humanity. I think it's... Uh, yeah, right. It, uh, brains? Like, being smart? Well, not even that. <laughs> not even smart, just being, like, tricky. Yeah, like, there's, he, there's, there's, no, there's no cunning to him because he doesn't need it because he's just capable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah it's, they don't portray him as, like, this trickster, Loki kind of character. He's just strong... He knows what to do in most he situations. Because well, he always knows what he wants. He, yeah. doesn't, he doesn't do what we all do, which is second guess and be like, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? He's like, well, I know what I need, so, so I'm, I'm going to make gonna it go happen. Do it. <laughs> um, I want to read you a quote from Richard Herbert um, where he talks about, this is in Overthinking It. Um, it's quite a long one, so stay with me. I think for me, this totally isolates and articulates what I think about um, this, like kind of the thesis of this film is. So, right. Quote, most humans show a kind of weak moral and ethical emergence. Our moral macroscopic behavior can be somewhat explained by the interactions of our moral microscopic components. E.g., Jane's approval of corporal punishment may be due to the dynamic interaction between a fundamentalist Christian church and a home environment that reinforces those beliefs. As Jane's initial microscopic conditions change or are perturbed, her, ma her macroscopic conditions are affected too. For instance, if Jane is accepted into a liberal arts college and faces a sudden influx of dissenting opinions, then her initial approval of corporal punishment may be destabilized, eventually forming a new macroscopic moral state, perhaps conditioning approval or outright disapproval of, corp of corporal punishment. I'm saying corporal wrong. I've realized that now. <laughs> corporal. Corporal. The amount of macroscopic change is dependent on the strength or momentum of the individual microscopic components and their subsequent interactions. End quote. Which is all to say that one of the things that make people people is that 
we 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 have these big sweeping moral generalizations that we think about ourselves. You say, well, I believe in gay marriage. I don't believe in gay marriage. I believe in corporal punishment. I don't believe in corporal punishment. Right. Uh, what what Richard is tapping into is the idea that these aren't formed by sweeping general like life events. There's no like great. You don't go through like a life changing event where suddenly you think that we should have the death penalty. Right. 99% of the time, it's the microscopic stuff. It's like, well, now that I've gone to a liberal arts college and everyone around me has dissenting opinions, I've learned empathy, so I no longer believe that thing. Or um, I didn't believe in religion, and now I've, you know, I, I live in a very religious area, and, I, and the microscopic conditions have meant that you are now conditioned to be like more religious. So I think that's in in this way like Riddick is not affected by any of the microscopic changes in what's going on. He is the pure chaos. He is like the pure <laughs> top level zero moral thing, right. whatever that is, regardless of the context around him. He seems ultimately unaffected and makes decisions based on this unseeable like moral horizon that he can only perceive like even when he tries to kind of like let other characters in a little bit like he kind of lets Jack's character in a little bit um like to an extent the girl pretending to be pretending to be a guy is yeah Jack, Jack. it is one. Jack um it's like even when Jack starts to like emulate him instead of that sort of thing he doesn't like sympathize ever or even like empathize he's just like well I'm still doing what I'm doing you can do whatever you want yeah there's a level of I don't know it's interesting to write a character like that where Every single other story you read ever is about how characters respond to the microscopic changes around them, right? Yeah, but so the the climax, the 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 end of the film when Carol, I'm gonna Carolyn, I'm gonna, I'm gonna I think Carol me. was right. I think it's it is it is Carolyn. Yeah. Okay. Um, when Carolyn is is sort of confronts him at the at the um at the the ship, and he's like, "Well, you can just leave with me." And he's, you know, he's basically, she's like, no, I don't want to. But she's like, she's obviously torn between. It's just like, she could just fuck off. Yeah. Um, and it's the same kind of like guilt that she goes through or the same kind of struggle she goes through at the start of the film where she's like wanting to just like ditch the passengers and save herself. Mm -hmm. um, but the, when Riddick, I'm trying to like remember the film. Why does Riddick go and help her again? <laughs> I'm trying to I, remember. I, th I think I think he knows that if he ends up in space with just the people that are left and not her, he's fucked. Well, it's, it's so some, if, I think because the the it's like he could just leave with just her and the other two. So Jack and yeah. the um the very the just the Muslim guy. I'm gonna yeah, look up his name. Uh, but it's a uh, imam. Yep, played by Keith David. <laughs> He's in. He's in Chronicles of Riddick. Too, he's in the. He's in yeah, the sequel. So or weird. the prequel. Anyway, yeah, it's you know the decision to go back for them must be driven by something. Well, must it though? But like, it must must be some unseen. Or it's sort of just like a character development where he's just. But th th I would I would only think that except that in every other film he's exactly the same. So I think he must have some unseen plan that we don't know of. Right. Maybe he's like the more people I have with me, the more bartering chips I have, the more sure. hostages I can take. Like I think there must be some math going on that we're not seeing um but again that's what that like the cool thing is you're doing the same thing the characters are where you're like why did he help us yeah. like that that to me is really cool because you're not even though he's the quote-unquote protagonist you're not in you don't get to share an understanding of his world well i think at that point he sort of has like a respect for carolyn as like a character more so than the other more so than anyone else, which I think could lend to reason why he goes back. Because when we have, you know, when she's sort of saying, well, no, the reason he goes back is because she's like, he's like, are you willing to die for them? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, 
cool rock on i respect that let's go <laughs> well, I, I guess because he's willing to die for himself i don't know it's, it's just because then when she dies and he's like you're not meant to die for me oh wait he, he respects oh. her sort of well, her no, no. stance on disagree disagree I, I think what he's doing is he's saying are you willing to die for him she says yes he's like great because i'm not so I need someone around here who is, just in case something goes wrong. Right, okay. Maybe that's To put the thinking. blame on. Well, no, so that there's someone to die. Because he's like, I don't want to. Oh, uh, okay. Do you know what I mean? He's like, I'm only going to go back if I don't have to pay the price. Yeah. He's like, I'm not going to... He's like, I'm not the self-sacrifice but guy. But then she sacrifices, quote-unquote, herself yeah, for him. Like, and he's, he's like, like no, no, what the hell? You missed the point. God damn it. <laughs> yeah. You to die for them, not me. I think that's the idea. So, like, he, he sees a utility in that, and his math adds up. He's like, well... Probably at some point someone's going to have to die to save everyone else. It's not going to be me, right? Because I'm getting out of here. Because he still wants to survive, but he, but I he, guess he has some baseline understanding. That's why he helps them in the first place. Because yeah. he's like, well, there must be there must be a reason why he helps them and doesn't just murk them all and escape on his self because he's perfectly capable. I think I think again that's part of what's interesting about his character is there's some motivation there that we aren't able to see. Right, it's not visible to us, and that, and whether it is that internal. But he's dumb. He's just. He's just one track. I know. Like, what is it? Is it sort of commenting on, like, this idea that, you know, the human condition of having this higher level of intelligence clouds this layer of judgment that you have if you just live on, like, a... Like, you know, if you look at, like, birds. Mm-hmm. Like, birds are smart. They they fly around and shit. I can't... I can fly around. I'd, I'd get lost. You know, it's like, how do they... Well, yeah, they, they, they're, they're not, not troubled by... They're not paralyzed by our bullshit where they're like, <laughs> should... Should I like? Should kiss, I wear this tie? Should I wear this, this tie? tie? Should I kiss the girl? Like, what do we do? Like, do I, they do don't I have. Get, do I have money for for food, or should I save it? And and because Riddick, even, I mean, it's interesting with the parallels with animals and stuff because he is very primal in that way. Yeah. But he seems to understand something about the nature of life that we don't, uh, as as regular people who are, you know, conflicted and paralyzed and complicated by these things. He has access to something primal that we don't because we do have all that shit going on. Right. And whether it's that he's in a better place or he's not, I don't think the films are, are there to be interested in that question. What they're interested in is if that person did actually exist, what would that look like in in this abstract setting? And, like, every character in this film kind of has some element of, like, humanness that just, like, kind of usually in the end gets them killed. You know, some element of just, like, something holding them back, which it, the film doesn't make, like a moral comment on what's holding them back it just presents it and says they die it's kind of so- where my meta that's kind of where my meta reading goes to, oh okay so, yeah um yeah definitely it does definitely say these people are being held back by something and it, it doesn't comment on it in the film but i think in the meta text it kind of well i think you does- know you can kind of use you know like the the art historian guy he's sort of just fixated on these <clears throat> relics and he's you know he he wants to keep the booze and stuff like that and he's that's kind of like his thing yeah you've got imam who's he's weird because for me it was a case of like his his sons who i think as metaphorical sons they're quite naive mm-hmm. they're kind of just like they kind of just run around and get killed whereas, whereas he yeah whereas he, i don't think he is he's like he's very much sort of leading them well because he doesn't really like to, he doesn't believe in god exactly like he th- so this is kind of where i think the film is really interesting because riddick has a line at the start where he's like um what is he saying i wrote it down let me find it um da, 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 da. Yeah, I, I think jack is like you <clears throat> know jack is an element of just self 
self-dislike. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, yeah, I mean, she pretends uh, to be a man because she so that she thinks people would respect her more. Yeah, kind of. I mean, so, so Riddick has a line I think reflects that idea perfectly, where someone's like, "Well, do you believe in God?" Or whatever. He's like, "Yeah, of course, I absolutely believe in God, and I fucking hate him or whatever." Right. Um, which is like a cool edgy line or whatever. It is very cool. But I, I think it speaks to like the the film, what the film is interested in, and like, and what the Riddick series is interested in. That's kind of like why Jack is the weird. So Jack turns up again in Chronicles of Riddick, um, which is the prequel. Well, it's technically the sequel to this. If you oh this. This is technically the prequel. prequel? It's supposed to be. It doesn't matter what order you read them and they still work. So Chronicles of Riddick is just a sequel. It's actually a sequel, but they make it into a prequel in the director's cut of this for some reason. Wait, in Chronicles? No, in the director's cut of Pitch Black, they make Chronicles of Riddick into a a prequel. Oh. Oh? Yeah, so so if you watch a certain version of this... How do you do that? There's a flashback at the start where you learn... Make a director's cut. Dude, I don't know. A prequel... For a film that comes out <laughs> after the director's cut. <laughs> because the director's cut came out after... Oh, after Chronicles, Chronicles of Riddick. Oh. So weird. What the f... Is it just he had a bunch of... Was it just like he was just like off his rockers and like he made Pitch Black into this dumb high concept and they yeah. shaved off all of the... They shaved off all of the high concept and then just like... He was just like, no, put it back. It's now no, relevant. I, th- I think what happened is Vin Diesel had a really cool idea for a character. Toy was like, I can write that into a really cool thriller film. And then they went... We're both sci-fi nerds. Let's make a big sci-fi epic, much right. like Lord of the Rings stuff, but for, for sci-fi. Then they went, ah, what if it's a prequel? <laughs> for whatever reason, it doesn't matter. Um, Fair enough. So, but that, that's kind of what I'm interested in, is like, this film definitely examines um, people, like, okay, so the people who live at the end are the people who are kind of a little bit okay with who they are. Like, they're not fully actualized yet, but um, they seem to be allowed to live because they've at least owned some of their own shit. Like, as, as you said, the script has no concern for morality. Um, what it cares about is this idea of like, um, and I'm going to get like really meta, but um, this <laughs> idea of like symbolic castration. Um, Jesus fucking Christ. Stay with me. I'll explain. Just stay with me. <laughs> um, so, so to become a survivor like Riddick, um, you have to be able to forego the, as we've said, he's like the perfect moral zero. He's not bound by these concepts of like, I am a, husband i am a employee i am a son i am a daughter he's not bound by those things he's fully castrated from like symbolic requirements he is just a fucking animal he is primal there's nothing about him that ties him to the symbolic nature of living right um because that's our our entire world is like symbolic association right money we money works because we believe it does um the police have (laughs) authority because we treat them like they do it's all it's all symbolic right um and in this context um Zizek talks about symbolic castration and describes the idea of individuals separating themselves from the symbolic. So the act of saying, I am not those things. I am not a father. I am not a mother. Some spicy Zizek. Yeah, we're going to get to some Zizek shit right here. So, <clears throat> and I'll, I'll give you the quote uh, from Matthew Sharp talking on Zizek and Lacan, and then I'll try and explain it a bit. Quote, everything turns, according to Lacanian theory, on whether this loss constitutes a violent humiliation for the child or whether, as in Hegel's account of lordship and bondage, its resolution involves the founding of a pact between the parties, bound by the solemnification of mutually agreed law. End quote. That's Matthew Sharp. So what he means by that is, when you go through that symbolic castration, so say, for instance, you go, well, I'm more than just someone's husband, I am my own person. Um, the most common example, and the one that they refer to, is the, Oed- the Oedipus complex, right? So when you're a kid, at some point you go through the symbolic castration to say, I am separate from my mother. And you no longer view your father as a threat. That was Freud's theory. We've kind of like moved on a little bit from that. A little bit. But at some point, at some point, every parent and child goes through this where 
there's a symbolic castration where they suddenly realize they're two independent people and they're not your mother. They're just a person that happens to also be your mother. Right. And the relationship changes forever. Yeah. Right. And so what Zizek is talking about here and what Matthew Sharp is identifying is this idea that there are two ways it can happen. One where it's hum- like there is trauma that is associated with it. So it has to happen through some traumatic means. Like there's something terrible that happens that forces this thing. So like, you know, Divorce. Divorce. Like, your parents get divorced, or, like, yeah. you know, one of your parents goes to jail, or they have, like, a drug problem, or, like, right. something that affects you so deeply that it's 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 separation by trauma. The other version of that is, like, a mutually agreed pact where, at some point, most people go through this at some point, like, during your adolescence, or, like, young adulthood, you and your parents kind of come to an understanding that, like, they're still your parent, but you kind of have your own shit going on. Right. And you kind of come to this weird, non-spoken agreement where it's yeah. kind of like, and in doing so... You're able to separate yourself from from that from that symbolic association in a way that feels healthy. It's not always as clean as that, but generally speaking, it, can, right, it usually yeah. takes one party longer to adjust than the other. It's usually the parents. Um, <laughs> usually and, the parents. And yeah. there's this idea that like when you can achieve that, um, it, it's really healthy for you and it lets you like actualize a bit more. So an example of like a traumatic version of this is. Uh, Riddick telling Fry about John's being like a heroin addict. <laughs> um, that's like a fairly traumatic separation. Um, versus Jack, who's allowed to realize that they're free to kind of save themselves under Riddick's influence. Right. Um, so I think similarly, like the last sequence, as they're racing through the darkness to the ship, for me, that points to this whole idea. So like, as the kind of eclipse goes down on like, the, they have the power, so trying to get to the ship and like all the monsters are coming or whatever. There's an idea in Lacanian theory that Zizek's all about, which is the idea of salvation. So in the Bible, salvation is like you come to God or whatever. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about if you are religious, say like you're born and raised like super Catholic and super Christian, you have that moment where you realize that like, oh, religion's made up and I don't necessarily believe in that. You have that symbolic castration. Zizek talks about that as being the revelation. The revelation is knowing oneself. So for me, it's interesting the symbolism in this film is like they're going from like, you know, they're racing the the darkness to save the light, right? It's like they're trying to get to that salvation and the people that survive are the people that get to experience that actualization. There's some just interesting parallels there. Um, and I think the idea is that when you haven't achieved symbolic castration, you're in the literal dark. And in this film, that kills you, right? <laughs> um, so if you can go through the trauma of the separation, you can achieve the salvation. So... Um, this, but then I get confused with this because then Riddick is like believing in God, but he's anti-God, like all that shit. But I guess for me, like what I'm interested in with the film and its symbolism is that being the case. And if we think about that kind of last sequence as being the people that escape the darkness and get onto ship and survive are the people that have that symbolic castration. They have that separation. But at what cost? Like Jack in yeah. the next film becomes basically Riddick. Like she becomes this fucking killer. She ends up in, like, the world's biggest, like, supermax prison. <laughs> right. Right? Imam stops believing in God altogether and basically starts living a lie, has a new family on a new planet, and never speaks about his old family again. Right. And Riddick, who's the one that causes all of this, is the only one that seems unchanged. <laughs> because he is the perfect moral zero. Mm. So, is the are we supposed to believe that the only way to true salvation is to continue stripping back symbolism until we are just fucking animals? But that's not society. That's... Riddick on a desert planet killing fucking, <laughs> you know, womp rats with his T-84 and, you know, frying them on a stove and living like fucking Arthur Morgan in Red Dead 2 on the fucking range. Like, it's very specific. I just think about this a lot. I don't know. Th- it's, <laughs> there's something about that that, that is so interesting. Like, we're supposed to go through this constant separation when we go, I'm not just these things. But if you go so far as to be like, well, 
but police aren't police, they're just people and money isn't real. Like, if you go so far, society doesn't exist and it breaks down. Well, so I think, so looking at the people who live, we can obviously see, we can see sort of what happens to people who make it through that, that point of salvation, Mm -hmm. but aren't, they're not Riddick. So they come out the other side a bit, bit messed up. Yeah. Um, I think if you if you look at the people who don't make it through, who die, in particular the people who die on the path to on the um along the the journey when the when the when the lights are out, because there is one death of what's his name when he's putting the bodies away and he just gets like sucked into the hole. I think mm-hmm. that death is weird because he him as a character he's not very well fleshed out. Let me get his name real Hassan. Captain Tom Could Mitchell. Be. Could be. Sam, sorry. Uh, anyway, um, that guy, <laughs> Wikipedia is failing yeah. me. The guy who dies for the creatures first. Yeah, he just sort of, he doesn't really have much of a character beyond the fact that he's Australian. And he just sort of buries a bunch of bodies. Like, he, you don't really get much of what his character is mm-hmm. compared to the other characters. Um, the the second person to, to go is Sharon, who I'm pretty sure is another Australian. Um, and she... You know, she's like eager to get to safety and she runs too early. She gets chomped by the by the flying boys. Mm-hmm. Her sort of I guess you know, her contribution to the story is really she doesn't really think ahead and she takes a solar powered vehicle yep. when they're trying to run when they know that sunlight is running out. Mm-hmm. Um I think that is like that like eagerness. To sort of like, oh, all right, we got to go. We got to go now, right? We're going to take this vehicle because it works because I can fix it. All right, we're going to go. All right, cool. Oh, I'm dead. Yeah. Um, we've got. Who else do we have after that? We have Mister Mister Collecty Boy. Um, I mean, all through this, like the the sons are dying. The sons of a mom are dying. I don't really know what they are as characters. I think it's supposed to be For like me. Look, it's like don't don't at me. But I kind of see them as a mom is a shepherd, and they are. The sheep. If you want to take like a biblical reference, he's the Moses. You know, he's he's yeah. guiding a group of people, and not all of them make it. Well, I mean, or, or, I mean, you, you could also talk about his uh, being his belief in God waning, like the as the because yeah, there's yeah. three sons on the planet. Yeah, the three sons they keep di- they die as the film goes on. Darkness falls. He loses his faith in God. It's like I don't know. There's some clear parallels. There. Yeah, there's definitely sort of there's a metaphor there that I swear is not sacrilege or it's, like racist well, it's you know it's it's that kind of thing where like they are very much coded muslim mm-hmm. and it's just like ah, it's a big yikes in this yeah but film. you have to code people with something yeah so um so he's fine but the sort of the second major death is seems paris that's a really dumb name because okay he's like i wanted to die in france oh, that's oh shit okay and ha- oh that's funny though it is a bit funny yeah. but his he's sort of like his death is so dumb and it's one of those, it's like a really dumb, like, sort of like horry, horror, horror, horror film trope where it's just like, you know, in any other film, you'd be like, what are you doing? You're being such an idiot. Duh, if you just stayed with the group, you'd be fine. But I don't know why, but this film, it manages to like not seem like, oh, what is he doing? He's such an idiot. It's just like, no, that's like exactly what you expect from him as a character. It's because it does a really good job of like, I don't know, it, the writing with the characters is like nuanced in a way that's really weird where you know immediately who they are. There's enough depth to them where you're like, I understand their motivations. I don't yeah. know how they do it. There's like, I don't know. It's really well written. And they also use his death as just like very good sort of, I don't know, window dressing to the to the thriller aspect of the film mm-hmm. when he sort of 
blow, blows the flame and it's just like he's surrounded, you're just like, oh, it kind of takes your mind off the fact that he's a goddamn moron. You're just like, that's a oh really gosh. cool shot. It, so much of that in this film, like, dude, that's shot really well. Yeah. Um. No, yeah, I, I think you're totally right. It definitely, like... And then, you know, when we've got the, the Merc guy, his death is because he's so eager to... He's so eager to screw over... Um, Riddick, mm-hmm. that he just like falls over his own legs yeah. of how eager e- eager he is, and just like you know him with the shotgun, just like firing wildly. He's so keen to like to you know reap the rewards, get the get the babes, shoot right. the guns. He's like the true blue American, and he just gets he doesn't get killed by Riddick. He's Riddick's just like see you later, bitch. Yeah, he's, he's, we let him die. <laughs> yeah, and and that's, he's just like remember, yeah. stay in the light. <laughs> that's that's such an element to we'll that where I I think it's yeah that I think that's why the film doesn't have such moral compunction that other films like this would have where it's like the good people live I think it's the people that just aren't trying to fuck other people over like people that just maintain that moral zero or right. at least try to or approximate it or they learn to um just such a weird like idea for a film that is as like high concept as this sci-fi wise um but I, I don't know I. I was trying to think about, like, a takeaway from this, because with all that said about the, like, Zizek's kind of stuff and the Lacanian theory and all that, like, I think... Well, actually, sorry. To finish my point, yeah, at the course. end of it, Carolyn dies. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the big... Like, that's a huge twist. Yeah. Like, I didn't see it coming. Like, it happens... She, yeah, it's, she's the most sympathetic and, character. You know, and when... And at the end, when when Riddick is, like, he um sort of... He, he doesn't immediately take off. The word escapes me. He, um... He's, you know, he's sitting there, and, like, my brain was just like, oh, is he gonna be like, oh, we have to go save Carolyn, but I, like, checked the time, I was just like, no, there's, like, three minutes left. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, he just wants to burn a bunch of them. Yeah. It's like, just like, he doesn't care well, that Carolyn went. No, he's he's, just he's like, like, I need to kill a bunch so we don't get taken down as we take off. Right. Like, that's his thinking, yeah. right? Yeah. Which anyway, is- that's my, it's just, just the fact that at the end, like, you know, similar to all these other characters where it's just, like, their eagerness or, like, their desire to want things it's like carolyn's desire to save everyone is ultimately her downfall right whereas it's it's for some reason riddick's complete lack of want and his operation entirely on need seems to be what saves him right but what life is that and i think that's kind of the question at the end is it's like well yeah you can't do that but without the the this the symbolic associations of life you you don't like you're not in there's no indulgence there's nothing you're enjoying and is that something that you should aspire to or not and the films never ultimately answer that question doesn't matter which riddick film you watch but it is an interesting question to raise in such a kind of action heavy kind of quote-unquote fun you know rompy sort of thriller horror kind of fun well like kind of like you <laughs> know like times yeah like i don't know that, that that's kind of that's an interesting philosophical concept that's hard to tap into in most films and i think it is best suited to films that aren't complicated plot wise like it is a very simple story that manages to execute with nuance about those concepts um so i'm always impressed by this film yeah uh do you have any recommendations for this week oh shit oh yeah i've been playing far cry 5 yeah to uh this week because i was sick one day and then i was like i'm gonna download and play far cry 5 Mm -hmm. and it's pretty good i haven't played the far cry game since like two Mm -hmm. i played a bit of three Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. They're definitely, like, they're very political now. <laughs> like, yeah. it's one set in, like, Montana. And they've done a really good job with the, um, with the way that they do the villains. I always thought, like, like, Far Cry villains are fun. But it's always really contrived the way that they, like, present them and the way that they put them in the space just mm-hmm. so they can, like, 
give opportunities for them to just like talk to the camera because that's like the best part of the Far Cry mm-hmm, villains. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this game, they actually like they actually do a good job of being like, this is why we're going to make the villain talk to you. You're like, oh, I I get this. Like, I've actually been captured. It's not just some <laughs> contrived bullshit. Into, oh, he's there and talking to you. It's just like, no, I've done a bad thing and I got caught. Yeah. Now I must. Mm, now okay. I must listen to the monologue. Yeah. And yeah. then I got to do a thing and continue on my merry way, blowing uh-huh. shit up. I like it. That's so a fun one. Um, I've been playing a lot of Sekiro because I was also sick. Um, and that game <laughs> is really the- really hard. <laughs> when we're sick. We just <laughs> play we're video sick games. Boys, <laughs> it's the only time we have time to play games. <laughs> exactly. Um, fuck, that is a good video game. Um, mm. I'm like nearly done, but fuck, it's hard. Um, yep. definitely enjoying it. Have a. I think we'll do like another episode on it because now that I'm nearly done, I think I have a much better grasp of what they were trying to do. The game's brilliant. The camera's shit. I have so many gripes. About Fuck it. the camera. Terrible. Get that shit um, out Don't be fucking adding me about how you finished it 25 times. You're fucking frame perfect in the whole thing. The camera's bad. Fuck we it off. We don't care. Um, otherwise, where can people find us? You call me mid-drink. Facebook. <laughs> At DCM Works Social. You call me mid-drink again. Why did I drink again? I don't know. That was my fault. That was on you. Yeah. Uh, YouTube. Uh, YouTube.com slash DCM Works. Twitter. Uh, at DCM underscore works. Patreon. Patreon.com slash DCM works. Uh, I was going to say, before we get to Patreon, uh, I have a video up at the moment that I think you guys will really enjoy. It's a breakdown of The Same by Horror Show. Um, it's a good one. It's one of my... I've made that in, made it in a, a single day. day. Yeah. I got up at 4.30 <laughs> in the morning and I published... I finished it at like 8 p.m. Mm. Um, I don't know what... I, I couldn't sleep and I was just like... I had this idea and I like woke up and I You're just like, did sure. it. And I was like, that was my son. I've, I've, I've had days like yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, so I'm really proud of that one. Can you just go check it out? Some YouTube. of my best work is from yeah. days like that. Honestly, yep. <laughs> I'm really proud of that. Um, but uh, our Patreon starts at $3 a month. Uh, we view it more as a subscription than a donation. You get access to a bunch of behind-the-scenes content. Um, you actually get access to the post-show of this podcast, which we're going to record um, in about 10 minutes from now if you're watching this live, uh, where we respond to comments, talk about stuff that doesn't really fit in the scope of the show, and sometimes we just talk shit um, usually, and answer email. It's usually that. <laughs> yeah. Um, usually we're just like, we've had enough drinks that we're fun. Yeah. So we can just shoot the shit and hang out, and uh, that goes up in both a video format and an audio, so if you prefer to listen to it on audio, you can actually uh, go to the Patreon, uh, and then... Uh, uh, you can. There's an RSS feed you can plug into your podcast app. So if you are a patron, I encourage you to do that. It's the best way to get access to that content. Uh, it's like 65 plus hours behind the scenes content. You guys know this, but uh, you also get you know discounts to my book. Now that camera's done. <laughs> Fuck me. Well, we're gonna no end cameras. The sh- we're gonna end the show. <laughs> gonna follow us individually. I'm Matt DZMA Pie. I'm Matt Literal Citrus. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs>